The rats retreated. Their blind will had been broken by one of the last inventions of human military genius. Humans had always been better at killing than any other living thing. The rats flowed backwards and returned to their enormous kingdom whose true dimensions were known to no one. All of these labyrinths lying at incredible depths were so mysterious and it seemed completely useless for the functioning of the metro. It was hard to believe, despite the assurances of various persons of authority on the matter, that all of this was built by ordinary metro builders. One such person of authority had once worked as a conductor assistant on an electric train in the old days. There were hardly any of his kind left and they were greatly valued because at first they had proven to be the only ones who could find their way around. And they didn't give in to fear the moment they found themselves outside the comfortable and safe capsules of the train in the dark tunnels of Moscow Metro. In these stone bowels of the great metropolis, everyone at the station treated the conductor's assistant with respect and taught their children to do the same. It was for that reason, probably, that Archeum had remembered him, remembered him all his life, a thin, haggard man emaciated by the long years of work underground who wore a threadbare and faded metro employee uniform that had long ago lost its chick but that he domed with the same pride a retired admiral would feel when putting on his parade uniform even Artyom still just a kid at the time had seen a certain dignity and power in the sickly figure of the conductor's assistant. Of course he did. For all those who survived, the employees of the metro were like local guides to scientific expeditions in the jungles. They were religiously believed they were depended upon completely and the survival of everyone else depended on their knowledge and skill. Many of them became the heads of stations with the United System of Government disintegrated and the Metro was transformed from a complex object of civil defense. a huge fallout shelter into a multitude of stations unconnected by a single power and was plunged into chaos and anarchy. The stations became independent and self-sufficient, distinctive dwarf states with their own ideologies and regime, regimes, their own leaders and armies. They warred against each other they joined to form federations and confederations 
They became metropolitan centers of rising empire one day, only to be subjugated and colonized the next by their erstwhile friends or slaves. They formed short-term unions against a common threat, only to fall at each other's throats again with renewed energy the moment that threat had passed. They scraped over everything with total abandon, over living spaces, over food, over the planting of abuminous yeast, the crops of mushrooms that didn't require any sunlight, the chicken coops, the pig farms, where pale subterranean pigs and emaciated chicks were raised on colorless underground mushrooms. They fought, of course, over water, that is, over filters. Barbarians who didn't know how to repair filtration systems that had fallen into disuse and were dying from water that was poisoned by radiation threw themselves with animal rage upon the passions of civilized life at the stations where the dynamo machines and small homemade hydroelectric stations functioned correctly where filters were repaired and cleaned regularly where tended were tended by the caring female hands and damp ground was punctuated with the little white caps of champion champions and well-fed pigs grunted in their pens. They were driven forward in their endless and desperate onslaught by an instinct for self-preservation and by that eternal revolutionary principle, conquer and divide. The defender of successful stations organized into battle-ready divisions by former military professionals stood up to the assaults of vandals to the very last drop of their blood. They went on to launch counterattacks and won back every meter of the interstation's tunnels with a, with a fight. The stations amassed their military power in order to answer any incursions with punitive expeditions in order to push their civilized neighbors from territory that was important for sustaining life. If they hadn't managed to attain these agreements by peaceful means, and in order to offer resistance to the crap that was climbing out of every hole and tunnel, these were strange, freakish, and dangerous creatures, the likes of which might well have brought Darwin himself to despair with their obvious lack of conformity to the laws of evolutionary development. As much as these beasts might differ from the animals humans were used to. 
and whether they had been reborn under the invisible and ruinous rays, rays of sunlight turned from inoffensive representatives of urban fauna into the spawn of hell, or whether they had always dwelled in the depths, only now to be disturbed by man. Still, they were an evident part of life on Earth, disfigured, perverted, but in a part of life here all the same. They remained subject to that very same driving impulse known to every organic thing on this planet. Survive. Survive at any cost. Artyom accepted a white enameled cup in which some of their homemade station tea was splashed around. Of course, it wasn't really tea at all, but an infusion of dried mushrooms and other additives. Real tea was a rarity. They rationed it and drank it only at major holidays, and it fetched a price dozens of times higher than the price of the mushroom infusion. Nevertheless, they nevertheless they liked their own station brew and were even proud enough of it to call it tea. It's true that strangers would spit it out at first, since they weren't used to its taste, but soon they got used to it, and the fame of their tea spread beyond the bounds of their station. Even the traders came to get it, one by one, risking life and limb, and soon after their tea made it down the whole metro line, even the Hansetic League had started to become interested in it, and great caravans of the magical infusion rolled forth, uh, towards VDNKH. Cash started to flow, and wherever there was money, there was weapons, there was firewood, and there was vitamins, and there was life. Ever since they started making the very same tea at VDNKH, the station had begun to grow strong. People from the nearby stations moved to the station and stretched stretches of track were laid to the station. Prosperity had come. They were also very proud of their pigs at VDNKH, and legend had it that it was precisely from this station that the pigs had entered the metro. Back at the very beginning of things when certain daredevils had made their way to the pig breeding pavilion at the exhibition and managed to herd the animals back down to the station. Listen, Artyom, how are things going with Sakoi? asked Andre, drinking his tea with small, cautious sips and blowing on it carefully. With Uncle Sasha, everything's fine. He came back a little while ago with a hike down the line with some of our people, an expedition, 
as you would probably know. Andre was, was about 15 years older than Artyom. Generally speaking, he was a scout and rarely stood at a watch nearer than 450th meter, and then only as a cordon commander. And here they posted him at the 300th meter with good cover, but all the same, he felt the urge to head deeper and made use of any pretext, any false alarm to get closer to the darkness, closer to the secret. He loved the tunnel, and he knew its branches very well. But, at the station, he felt uncomfortable among the farmers, the workers, the businessmen, and the administration. He felt unneeded, perhaps. He couldn't bring himself to hoe the earth for mushrooms, or, even worse, stuff the fat pigs at the station's farms with mushrooms standing up to his knees in manure, and he couldn't be a traitor either. He had, he'd been unable to stand traitors for the day he would, from the day he was born. He had always been a soldier, a warrior, and he believed with all his soul that this was the only occupation worthy of a man. He was proud that he had done nothing his entire life but defend the stinking farmers and fussy traders, the administrators who were businesslike to a fault, and the women and children. Women were attracted to his arrogant strength, to his total confidence in himself, to his sense of calm and in to his sense of calm in relation to himself and those around him because he was always capable of defending them. Women promised him love, they promised him comfort, but he could only feel comfortable beyond the 50th meter, beyond the turning point where the station lights were hidden and the women didn't follow him. Why not? Now he'd warned, now he'd he warmed up nicely as a result of the tea, and he removed his old black beret and wiped his mustache damp from the steam with his sleeve. Then he began to question Artyom eagerly for news and rumors from the south brought by the last expedition, by Artyom's stepfather, by the very man who, nineteen years ago, torn Artyom from the rats of Timorizovskaya, unable to abandon a child, and had raised him. 